Well, good morning, Concord at Mount Yona. Super excited about the message today. I know you think I got a bodyguard here, but that is not my bodyguard. This is Tim Motes. Tim is going to help me in the introduction of the message because Tim had something crazy happen to him just a few weeks ago. He works at Woodlawn Farm and Gardens, and while he was there a few weeks ago in the evening, something crazy took place, right? So go ahead and tell everybody what took place a few weeks ago for you. On that night, I got robbed. You got robbed. So tell me this. While you were at work, how did you know that you were being robbed? The moment the guy stuck the gun in my face, I know I was getting robbed. <laughs> so when he put the gun in your face, that's a dead giveaway, right? It is. So were you completely, like, scared to death? Like, what was kind of your emotion at that point? It really throws you off guard. and Yeah, you're scared of death. I got you. Super surprised, right? Super. Definitely. Now, I know he tried to rob you. Did you give him anything? No, we didn't give him nothing. You didn't give it? Did you not have anything to give? Wasn't going to give him nothing. Well, you didn't give him anything. All right, I got you, I got you. But whenever he tried to uh, kind of get out of the place, what ended up happening? When he decided to leave the place, he decided he probably needed to get me out of the way, so he decided to shoot me. Good night. So you ended up getting shot a few weeks ago. I did. And tell me, uh, where did they? Where did he shoot you? In the stomach. He shot you in the stomach. Well, you're, you're here today, so we're fired up about that, right? You got abs of steel, apparently. Abs of steel. Abs of steel. All right, I got you. But ultimately, what I really wanted to get across to everybody was the fact that when he showed up, you really were not expecting that. Wasn't looking forward to that. Absolutely. You've never been probably more surprised in all your life, have Big you? Big surprise yet. I got you. Well, man, I'm pumped that you're doing well and excited about how God's using you in our fellowship, and uh, we're thankful that you're here with us today. All right, man. Thanks a ton for sharing with us today, too. I appreciate that, bro. Appreciate All right. You take care, man. All right, buddy. Probably the most laid-back person who's ever been shot before. Are y'all with me? Who's like, they put a gun in my face. <laughs> but anyway, so uh, what I wanted you to kind of get from that was the element of surprise. You know, many of us have been surprised before. Hopefully you've not been surprised by a thief. But a thief is only successful if he can shock you or surprise you or catch you off guard. So if you were in Tim Moat's position and you knew a thief was going to come, the question is, how would you prepare for that, right? There are certain things that you would do if you knew that you were going to be robbed. But what's interesting is what Peter does for us in 2 Peter chapter 3 this morning, he actually tells us that the day of the Lord is going to come like a thief. Now listen to this, the day of the Lord is going to come like a thief. Now what is Peter getting at here? He's not telling you and I that Jesus when he comes is going to steal things, but instead he's elevating the fact that whenever Jesus comes back, there's going to be an element of surprise to it. In fact, many people are going to be shocked whenever Jesus shows back up and he comes and he comes to judge. In fact, the Lord Jesus Christ spoke about this in Matthew 24. And listen to what Jesus said, because I think this is pretty awesome. Because again, Peter would have been seated at the feet of Jesus, listening to Jesus say these words. Jesus says, be on the alert, for you don't know the day nor the hour that the Lord is going to come. But be sure of this, and then he gives this analogy, and I love it. He says, if the head of the house had known at what time of night the thief was coming, he would have been on the alert, and he would not have allowed his house to be broken into. And so for this reason, you also need to be ready, for the Son of Man is coming at an hour when you do not think that he will. So Peter tells us in Second Peter 3 that the Lord's coming is going to be like a thief. 
Jesus tells us that whenever he shows up, there's going to be this huge element of surprise. So what we're going to do today is learn as followers of Christ how we should be living in light of the fact that the Lord is going to come. Also, we're going to see what that day is going to be like. So 2 Peter chapter 3 in your Bibles, if you'll stand with me in honor of God's Word there, and uh, you got your Bible there in front of you, say amen. So the Bible says, verse 10, But the day of the Lord will come like a thief, in which the heavens will pass away with a roar, and the elements will be destroyed with intense heat, and the earth and its works are going to be burned up. And since all these things are to be destroyed in this way, what sort of people ought you to be in holy conduct and godliness, looking for and hastening the coming day of God, because of which the heavens will be destroyed by burning, and the elements will melt with intense heat. But according to His promise, we're looking for the new heavens and the new earth in which righteousness dwells. Therefore, beloved, since you look for these things, be diligent to be found by Him, that is Jesus, spotless and blameless. And regard the patience of our Lord as salvation. Just as also our beloved brother Paul, according to the wisdom given to him, wrote to you. So also in all of his letters, speaking in them of these things, in which there are some things which are hard to understand, which the untaught and unstable distort as they do the rest of Scripture to their own destruction. You therefore, beloved, knowing this beforehand, be on your guard so that you're not carried away by the error of unprincipled men and fall from your own steadfastness. But grow in the grace and the knowledge of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. To Him be the glory both now and to the day of eternity. And everybody said, Amen. Let's bow together. Father, thank You for Your Word. Uh, Lord, You teach us in Second Peter chapter 1 that we need to be intentional about growing in our walk with You. And Father, You tell us at the very end of this particular letter that we need to grow in the grace and the knowledge of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. So today as we kind of cap off this series, Finding Your Way, we just want to ask in Jesus' name that you would help us get a clear vision of what you have in store for the future, especially as it pertains to this current heavens and earth, and then also what you have in store for the new heavens and the new earth. God, I'm looking forward to seeing how you work through this. But Father, we also want to pray specifically today for those who have not yet come into a personal relationship with you. God, use your word and by the Holy Spirit to draw them to salvation. And we'll trust you to be glorified. And that's in Christ's name that we pray. And everybody said, Amen, Amen. So you go ahead and be seated this morning. Let's look at these verses again because this is pretty radical when you think about the end of the world. Look at verse 10. The Bible says, But the day of the Lord is going to come like a thief in which the heavens will pass away with a roar and the elements will be burnt up. Now, I bought an eyeball for just a moment. When he mentions this idea of the heavens, he's talking about the universe, right? What you see when you look up at the sky at night or even during the daytime, even the galaxies as it were. The Bible says here that all of these things are going to pass away with a roar and the elements are going to be burned up. Now, whenever Peter is talking about the elements here, he's talking about the matter uh, which basically makes up the earth. And if you really begin to kind of break matter down, you're talking specifically about the atoms, And so ultimately here, Peter is saying that even the atoms are all going to be burnt up. So what you see in the sky, what you walk upon here upon this earth, the scripture says God is one day going to come and he's going to destroy every single bit of it with his blazing fire. Now, Peter was talking about this in 2 Peter 3. He heard about it from Jesus, but he also would have heard about it growing up as a good Jewish boy, right? Because he would have had opportunities to hear the Old Testament prophets read to him in the synagogues over and over again. 
And one of the Old Testament prophets by the name of Malachi talks about the great and terrible day of the Lord. And whenever Malachi prophesies about what's going to occur in the future, he makes this particular statement. He says, For behold, the day is coming, burning like a furnace, and all of the arrogant and all of the evildoers will be like chaff. And the day that is coming will set them ablaze, so that it will leave neither root nor branch upon the earth. So what is it that Malachi is saying? saying, hey, listen, there's a day coming when God's going to send fire. He's going to absolutely destroy everything. Jesus said it. Peter now is saying it. And uh, looky here now, I'm saying it this morning. Y'all with me? Say yes. Because reality is, again, oftentimes we think about preaching and we even say we don't like hearing preaching about fire and brimstone. Well, anybody who is going to preach through the Bible and be faithful to the text is going to have to talk about fire and brimstone or else that dude's not worth his salt. So here this morning, as we think about what is going to occur, Peter says it is going to happen with a roar. And that word, by the way, roar is pretty interesting because Amos says in the Old Testament, God from Mount Zion roars, right? And whenever you study that word roar in the Greek New Testament, you'll discover that it's also used in the Greco-Roman world to describe a few things. One, it describes the hissing of a snake. Right, So if you ever walk up on a snake and the dude kind of sets up and sticks his tongue out at you and makes the noise, that's the sound that is uh, really being described here. And then it can also be used to describe the flapping of a bird's wing. So you've got a bird in flight going extremely fast. You've got the whooshing sound of those wings hitting one another. And then obviously it is the sound of a fire. Now, whenever we were teenagers, we had a bonfire one time and we had some gasoline. Somebody say, not a good idea. Right, But anyway, so what I did is I threw some gasoline on the fire. Watch this. Famous last words of a redneck. Somebody say amen. But anyway, so I throw it up on the fire. But as soon as that gasoline hit that fire, anybody know what it sounded like? Yeah, yeah, let's all do it together. It's a whooshing sound on the count of three. One, two, three. Whoosh. Right? Peter says when the day of the Lord comes, that's what it's going to sound like. And when the day of the Lord comes with great fire, he's going to burn up this earth and burn up the universe as we know it. Now, Warren Wiersbe, in his commentary on 2 Peter, talks about this particular day. And he goes a step further and says, can you imagine what it will be like for those who do not know Jesus on that day? Because when that day arrives, they will ultimately stand and they will be judged by the Lord Jesus Christ. And then he goes on and makes this statement. Listen to it closely. He says, man's great works on that day will be completely burned up. All the things that man brags about today. So all of his achievements, all of his great cities, all of his great buildings, all of his inventions, every single bit of that will be destroyed in a moment in time. So whenever sinners, that is those who don't know Jesus, stand before the throne of God, they will have nothing to point to as evidence of their greatness, because it will all be gone. So these individuals who are really placing all of their trust, putting all of their energies into this current world system, will one day discover that they stand before a holy, righteous Jesus Christ, and they have nothing for which they can give evidence of their life on earth, because it's all burned up. It is all absolutely gone. And so the main point of what Peter wants you and I to know today as followers of Jesus is that although this day is a surprise to those who don't know the Lord, you and I know it's coming. So if you know it's going to happen, it should not be a surprise for you as a follower of Christ. 
So the reality is Peter wants to put this main point in our hearts today, and I give it to you. And that main point is we need to live now like we are already there, like we're already a part of the new heavens and the new earth. So that is the challenge that Peter kind of gives to us today. Matter of fact, look with me, if you will, in verse 11. The Scripture says, Since all these things are to be destroyed in this way, talking about the current heavens and earth, what sort of people ought you to be in holy conduct and in godliness? Now, eyeball to eyeball for a moment. What is this? Holy conduct and godliness. What Peter is doing is saying is you uh, are a follower of Christ. If you know Him and you live upon this current world system, and all of us do, you and I should look radically different than those who don't know Christ. He's giving us a contrast. You see, those who do not know the Lord are driven by self-promotion. They're driven by accumulating things here upon this earth. They're uh, ultimately driven even by comparing themselves to other people. Driven by taking advantage of those who are around them. They're driven also by just a narcissistic attitude. It's all about us, me, myself, and I. I want to get what I can so I can enjoy this life. Well, that's how the world thinks. That's how the world lives. So what Peter is saying is in the midst of that kind of culture, you should look radically different in your conduct. It should be holy. That means set aside, different. And then conduct is a word that describes your everyday walking around life. So how you live today should look radically different than those who do not know the Lord. So there's holy conduct and then there's godliness. That really magnifies our devotion to the Lord. So if you're genuinely godly, it doesn't mean necessarily that you walk around you know, with uh, a frown on your face all the time, acting like you're always in a mode of prayer. But that's not the case. This is the idea that you have a zeal and a passion for the Lord. And this doesn't also mean that you run around acting like a crazy person. But it is, in fact, a word that describes an individual who has as their aim in life the glory of God and the multiplication of the gospel. That's what a person is who is godly. They are devoted to God's glory and they're devoted to the gospel being multiplied to other places. Right? That's what it means to live godly. And if you and I as followers of Jesus really live like this, then we're going to look, ra- we're going to look radically different than those who are far from the Lord. And that really is the goal because, as we'll see towards the end of this message, God wants to use you in this moment in time to lead others to faith in Jesus Christ before that great and terrible day. Now the Bible says in the book of Hebrews, it is a fearful thing to fall into the hands of the living God. So this is no joke which we're talking about this morning. This is a reality. And this fact ought to change how you live. And that's what Peter's getting at. He's saying, listen, since you know this is going to happen, what kind of people ought you to be? That's his challenge here in the text. Now he goes on and describes a little bit more about how this world is going to be burned up in verse 12. So look at it again. He says, Looking for and hastening the coming day of God, because of which the heavens will be destroyed by burning and the elements with intense heat. So here again, what is Peter saying about this current heavens and earth? It's all going to be burnt up with intense heat. Eyeball to eyeball. Everybody with me this morning say yes. Because this is massive. You and I are living in a culture where the media, the news, the television set, all the articles are bent towards saving the planet. Anybody ever heard this phrase before? Let's do a show of hands. Slip your hands up. You heard save the planet before? And the idea here is many of them who are secular humanists believe that the earth is eternal. And if we don't be careful as people, we're going to destroy this earth. But here's the reality. 
The Bible teaches us that man will not be the one who destroys the earth. It will be God. And so the reality is, even though there are those saying, save the planet, we got to save the planet, uh, bottom line is, God's got a new place for us for all of eternity. And this planet upon which you and I live is cursed with sin. That's why it has to be done with, done away with, because of the curse of sin upon it. So that we can make room, that is the Lord, He can make room for the new heavens and the new earth. So listen, if you're on the Save the Planet bandwagon, I hear where you're coming from, and that's all good if you want to go green. But if you want to flush your toilet, use Clorox, shoot a deer, drill for oil, go for it. Are you hearing what I'm saying? Because this planet is going to be done away. Listen, it's not the day of man. It is the day of God. And God is going to pour out His fire upon this earth. So hey, listen, you can sleep well tonight knowing that the Ice caps won't melt and drown you. Are y'all listening to me preach this morning? They won't, right? Matter of fact, God has promised that He would never send a flood to the earth to kill humanity again. He's made that promise. But He has made another promise that He would send fire. Now, notice verse 13. The Bible says here, But according to His promise, we're looking for new heavens and a new earth in which the righteousness dwells. And I love this, right? New heavens and new earth. It's a brand new place. John the Revelator saw it in Revelation 21.1. He says, I saw a new heaven and a new earth. For the first heaven and the first earth passed away. Now, I bought, I bought the preacher for a moment. The new heaven and new earth is not cursed by sin. Somebody say amen on that. Right? So it is a perfect place, and it is made for those who have been made perfect by the Lord. Right? So nobody is perfect. But when you come to faith in the Lord Jesus Christ, He gives you His righteousness and He will ultimately perfect you, give you a brand new glorified body to experience all of eternity in the new heavens and in the new earth. And can you imagine what that day is going to be like also? Because that is a place where righteousness dwells. It means righteousness finds it home. It's home there. Feels at home in that place. In that place, there will no longer be any problems with sin. So you will never have another moment where you experience unbroken fellowship with the Lord. You'll be in perfect harmony with Him. At the same time, you'll never have to apologize for something wrong that you've done, because it's a perfect place. At the same time, you will never have issues with anybody in the new heavens and the new earth, because nobody is committing sin to create issues. And so what Peter is saying is, listen, you know this day's coming. This earth here is going to be done away with. You've got a new heaven, new earth. You've got a brand new eternity. You need to live now like you are already there. Which, by the way, this is a taught by Paul the Apostle. Paul the Apostle teaches us in Philippians 3 and verse 20. He says, our citizenship, check this out, I love it. Our citizenship is in heaven from which we eagerly await a Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ. But he says, our citizenship, Paul is saying to those in Philippi, don't get caught up with this idea of acting like a Roman individual. That was a big deal back then. Everybody wanted to be Roman. So he said, don't get caught up with that. That's not where your citizenship is. Your citizenship is in heaven, so live like it. Now, when I go overseas, it doesn't take very long for somebody to find out I'm not from that place. Right? And uh, I can just go north sometimes and people are like, where are you from, man? Right? Because of the accent. But if I go overseas, I thought primarily about Africa. As soon as I go into an African village and begin to talk, they know I'm not from there. They look at how I dress, they know that I'm not from there because I am an American. So I look different in that setting. 
And what Peter and Paul are getting at in the New Testament is that you are a citizen of heaven. So your conduct should be different. Your conversation should be different. What you value in life should be radically different than those who are not citizens of heaven. That's the challenge. Paul the Apostle even tells us in Romans 12, and I love these passages. He says, don't be conformed to this world, but instead be transformed by the renewing of your mind so that you are able to choose what the perfect will of God is for your life. So what is Paul saying? He's saying, listen, guys, don't allow this world to pressure you into its mold. That's not your calling. You're a citizen of heaven, so you need to live now like you're already there. That's what Peter's getting at, too. So the question is, how do we do that, practically speaking? Three major ways from the text. You want to jot them down in your listening guide. First way is this. You've got to get rid of bad blood with other people. You've got to get rid of bad blood with other people. You know what bad blood is, right? That's when you've got an issue with somebody. It could be in your family. It could be in our church family. It could be where you work, whatever the case is. But you just got a little something going on where... You know, you're angry at them, maybe you're you know, bitter towards them, but you got this bad blood, these negative emotions. They walk in the room and immediately, like, your whole day is ruined. By the way, let's do a show of hands. You ever known anybody like that? You ever had bad blood? Slip your hand up. Don't look spiritual. I know y'all do, right? That's right, right? Really? God bless you. I was just waiting for honesty in God's house. You know what I'm saying? No, we've all experienced this. Now, here's the amazing thing. In the new heavens and the new earth, we're in perfect harmony with God and we're in perfect harmony with other people. So what Peter is getting at now is he's going to teach you and I, if that's what it's like there, then live like that is true here. Notice what he says. It's pretty awesome. He notes it in verse 14. He says, Therefore, beloved, since you look for these things, be diligent to be found by Jesus in peace. In peace. Now, about eyeball, what is this talking about? This is not just talking about peace with God, right? This is talking about peace with other people. So whenever this day comes, we should be living now looking to be at peace with every single person. So if there's bad blood, that means we've got to get rid of it. Because that bad blood breeds bitterness, brings anger, ultimately causes us to, check this out, not look like the people of God. So what do we need to do? Well, if you've got bad blood with somebody, it may be that you need to choose to forgive somebody this morning. And every single one of us have been done wrong at some point in time in our lives. We've been hurt. We've been offended. We've been slandered about, gossiped about. Somebody's talked some junk about you, right? And you, you felt that in your heart. And for some of us, I don't know if you're like me, but sometimes I, if, if this is how I am. I'm just telling you I have to fight against this because if somebody says something negative about me that's untrue, uh, sometimes I'll just want to kind of cut them off like water, right? Just cut them off, have nothing to do with them. I'll just go my own way. You do your thing, I'll do my thing. But that is not the way the Lord calls me to live. It's not how He calls you to live either. So you don't just cut the water. Listen, God hadn't just cut the water off on your relationship with Him, has He? Because here's the thing. Every single one of us have done God wrong. Every one of us. We've all sinned against the holy God. And our sin is so much greater than what somebody has done to us. And yet God hasn't turned His back on us. He is eager to forgive. He is quick to let us off the hook. And the idea here is if we're going to live now like we're already there, then we need to make sure we are diligently seeking, right? Diligently seeking to be at peace with all men. That means we've got to forgive people. 
And I know how it is in a room this size. Somebody's thinking in their mind. They're like, but you don't understand what they've done to me. right? Well, here, here's what I've learned pastoring. We often overestimate what people do to us. And we underestimate what we've done to God. We overestimate what people do to us and we underestimate what we've done to God. And yet God... If you can kind of have this imagery in your mind because it's a biblical picture, God is in the, on the balcony of heaven eager to forgive, looking forward to giving out forgiveness, cannot wait. And that should be our attitudes as well. So we have to choose to forgive. Now here's the second thing. If you're going to get rid of bad blood, some of you may need to ask somebody to forgive you. You need to ask somebody to forgive you. Because here's the thing. When we talk about bad blood, we often immediately think about people who've done us wrong but the reality is bad blood is a result of us doing other people wrong as well. And you know people like that in your life. Some of you came to church this morning because God wanted you to hear this. right? You've got bad blood with somebody in your family. You've got bad blood with somebody in the church family. You've got bad blood with somebody you work with. You've got bad blood with a neighbor in your neighborhood. You've got bad blood. right? Some of you need to go to that person that you've wronged and ask them to forgive you. Right? Some of you have bad blood with your marriages. And you've got to go to that person and admit that you're wrong and you need forgiveness. Now, I've had to do this several times with several people, right? So, so how do we do that? How do we go to people and ask for forgiveness when we know we've done wrong? Here's what we do. We've got to first go with humility. I come to you in absolute humility. Then you've got to come with honesty. And I'm honestly telling you, here's what happened. And then we don't, get the, we don't, we don't throw out this little thing. Just want you to know I'm sorry. Right? You, ever, you ever seen kids whenever they get in an argument, right? And you're like, y'all apologize. And somebody be like, sorry. Yeah, they, they really mean that. But oftentimes we don't mature from that attitude even as adults. So we just look at somebody, sorry. But, but it's not genuine, right? So you've got to go with humility. You have to go with honesty. And then you've got to ask them, will you forgive me? For some of you, as soon as you leave church today, that's what you need to do. Because you've got bad blood with some folks. And listen to this. You are not being who God wants you to be on this current earth. If you've got bad blood with people in your family, your church family, where you work with, or where you live. You are not experiencing what God really has for your life. And that bad blood, it will hold you back from being all that God wants you to be here. So you want to live now like you're already there? You've got to get rid of bad blood. Here's the second thing. Jot it down. You've got to represent you got to represent. And here's the thing, right? I was March Madness. I'm a huge fan of that, by the way, right? I love college basketball whenever they get into the season of March and all of these things are happening. So recently heard a quick little article, or uh, saw it rather, as they were interviewing some guys who played for Kentucky Wildcats, right? So they said, man, when we put on that jersey, and they were even recollecting the time they put it on the first time, when we put on that jersey the first time, like our whole minds began to change, Everything that we began to live for changed. And here's what they said. Because when we put on the blue, talking about the tank top, when we put on that jersey, we know that we represent this university. But more than that, because Kentucky doesn't have a professional basketball team, we represent the entire state, right? So they're, you know, they showed it on television. They're all putting it on and running into each other and stuff. All fired up about basketball. We are representing. That was the idea here. So what the Scriptures teach you and I is that as soon as you come to faith in Jesus, you are clothed with the righteousness of the Lord Jesus Christ. You didn't earn that. That was a gift. It was a jersey given to you by the grace of God. So now when you put that jersey on at the moment of salvation, guess what? Now you represent 
Jesus and everything you say and everything you do. And you represent the new heaven and the new earth. And what Peter says is you've got to begin to live like that now. And we'll see it here again in verse 14. He says you need to live spotless and blameless. Spotless means that you live without any stain or blemish in your life. You keep short accounts between you and God, you and other people, right? Don't let those things go on. Don't allow the jersey which God gave to you to have spots on it. Live blameless, he says. I like this, right? Speaks of living an unrebukable life. Living in such a way that you're above reproach. Living in such a way that you uh, don't discredit the Lord. Right? Now this is huge. You represent Jesus. So, so, so we kind of go like this. I want you all to come here. Are you all listening and say yes? All right, sure enough. you all paying attention back here? Say yeah. Help, help a brother out, man. I'm trying to preach up here. You are called as a follower of Christ to represent Jesus in the culture of the kingdom of heaven right where you live. You know what that means? That means if you're a dad, if you're a father in this place today, you have a calling from God. And that calling is that you would be the spiritual leader of your family. And that you would represent Jesus well to your wife and also your children. Listen, that, that means you represent Jesus in the neighborhood where you live. You represent the culture of the kingdom of God where you live. You represent Jesus and the culture of the kingdom of God where you work. Right? Here's a thought. If we had the opportunity to interview your children, would they come away talking about how you're devoted to Jesus and how you have a desire to reach others with the gospel? Is that what would come out of their mouth? Or would they not even even come close to saying something like that? Listen, you're not representing well. Because when you represent Jesus, you get fired up and passionate about His glory and His gospel being multiplied. That's what happens. That's the byproduct. When you are zealous for the Lord, you're fired up about His glory, fired up about His gospel. So if you're living for Him and representing Him well, your kids are going to be able to see that. Same thing, they're going to be able to see that where you work, too. How about that? Interview folks you work with, what would they come away saying? Well, they come away saying, I'm going to tell you something's different about that old boy. I mean, he's got a real passion for Jesus, it seems. He's always telling people how to be saved. He's always talking about eternal things. You know, you know what that is? That's representing Jesus well. You have put on the jersey. If you're here today and you're like, nobody at work would ever say that about me. Matter of fact, they'd probably be shocked to find out I knew Jesus. Well, that's a problem. Are y'all listening to me preach? That's an issue, man. So you've got to get that thing right. Because if you're going to live now like you're already there, you've got to get rid of bad blood and you've got to start representing. Because you represent the King of kings and the Lord of lords. You represent the kingdom of heaven, man. The new heavens and the new earth. So live in harmony with God. Live in harmony with others. And then the last thing, we'll just kind of close on this. Jot it down. Be thankful that the Lord hasn't come back yet. Be thankful He hasn't arrived yet. This is pretty massive, right? It almost seems contrary because what happens is Peter's like, man, there's a new day coming, right? The old heavens and the earth are going to be passed away. New heavens and new earth coming. Anticipate that. Look for that. We're even called in the Scripture to pray that He would come quickly. But then it's like, but be glad He hadn't shown up yet. Now, why would that be? Well, look at verse 15 in your Bible. Scripture says, regard the patience of our Lord as salvation. This is also our brother Paul, according to the wisdom given to him, wrote to you. So eyeball to eyeball, you know what he's saying here? And I'm going to kind of give it to you my way, right? So when I'm reading this and studying this, I'm like, Lord, I can't wait for you to come back. Can't wait for the new heavens and new earth. Looking forward to that. But Lord, thank you that you haven't come back yet. 
because I have some neighbors who don't know you. Thank you. Thankful that you haven't shown back up yet because I know some folks that we're praying for as a family who need Jesus Christ personally. So we're anticipating it, but we're thankful that God is still in the saving business now. But here's the thing, and pay close attention. When this day comes, this great and terrible day, right? By the way, those aren't my words that's in the Scripture. This great and terrible day of the Lord, when this day comes, if you don't know Jesus, it is going to be payday for you like you have never imagined. Because the wrath of Almighty God is going to be poured out upon you, and you'll be cast into the lake of fire, the Bible says, and it is a place of unquenchable fire, and you are not getting out, bro. And some people are so cocky about this day. And they say, well, when I see Jesus, I'm going to tell him, you're not going to say a word, bro. Your mouth is going to be so shut, you're not going to be able to open it. You will fall down upon your face. And the Bible says, in that day, every knee is going to bow. And every single tongue is going to confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. But if you don't know him now, that day, can I say it to you like this? Just straight up, that day is definitely going to be hell for you. Literally. But you have opportunity now. Because that day hasn't come yet, according to verse 15, it's because of salvation still being open. And some of you have rejected him far too long. This may be your last opportunity. You need to respond to Christ. Let's have our heads bowed, eyes closed, nobody looking this morning. If you need to give your heart to Jesus, would you just call out to him? The Bible says, whoever calls in the name of the Lord shall be saved. So if you call out on Jesus, say, Lord, I'm a sinner. I need you to forgive me. Clothe me in righteousness today. Thank you for Jesus who died for me. Thank you for his resurrection. Now help me to live now like I'm already there. Your head bowed, your eyes closed, nobody looking, nobody messing around at this point. But if you're saying, Levi, man, that's me. Just prayed and gave my life to Christ. First step of obedience is baptism. You saw that this morning. Uh, you need to be obedient. So in a moment, we'll stand to our feet for an invitation. I'm going to invite you to come. I'll be here in the front of others as well. We want to pray for you, set you up an opportunity to be baptized in the days ahead. But don't reject the Lord's calling to you. And if you're genuinely giving your heart to Jesus today, baptism ain't a big deal. Right? Could you, baptism is like putting on a wedding ring. Could you imagine if I were standing up to get married, right, in front of people, and they gave me the ring, and I said, I'm not putting that ring on. No, putting the ring on is simple, right? So this is me going public about my marriage. Well, baptism is simple, right? That's you going public about your faith. And if you're genuinely converted, you, you, won't, you won't throw that to the side like it's not a big deal. No, that's a big deal. And let me ask you this. If you're a follower of Jesus today, what do you need to do with a message like this? Right? You got bad blood with somebody? What steps are you going to take intentionally when you leave here to settle the bad blood? The Bible says, as far as it depends on you, you be at peace with all men. That's what the Bible says, right? As far as it depends upon you, right? Go for peace with everybody. Or maybe you're not representing him well. Maybe you're a dad here today and you just need to sit your family down sometime today and be like, hey, listen, family, I just want you to know I've not been the man that God's called me to be. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to begin to make some changes by God's grace. Or maybe you're a wife, single mom, I don't know. You need to do the same thing. 
Or maybe you're a teenager here and you've not been representing Jesus well in school, right? You've been, I don't know, allowing your conduct to be anything but holy. Allowing your life to be anything but devoted to Jesus. You're passionate about all kinds of stuff. But all that stuff's going to be burnt up one day. Some of you fellas in here, you're passionate about your work, man. But you know all that stuff you've been putting all that energy into? I'm not saying you don't need to work hard. But I'm just saying you don't need to worship your work, bro, because that's going to be burnt up one day. So if you're giving your heart to Jesus this morning, the moment we'll stand to our feet and sing, you come forward. Or if God's calling you to join this church body, you come forward, right? Don't let anything hold you back from making that decision today. You'd be obedient to Him. Father, uh, we give you the invitation, as we always do, and trust that you'll work in it. And that's in Jesus Christ's name that we pray. Amen. Let's stand to our feet. While we sing, you come this morning.